I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, welcome along to Writer's Routine. Uh, This week we'll take a look inside the working day of Mel Sherratt. She's got a brand new book out, it's called TikTok, it's a crime, it's a thriller, it's psychological, it's suspenseful, it's procedural as well. And you can hear how that got from her brain down onto the page. Uh, We'll talk about her dirty drafts. Also, how she felt that she got better when she took the stoke, as she calls it, out of her work. And we'll talk about how it was all about embracing new technology that helped Mel finally get success. I got made redundant, actually, in um, 2010. It was a case of I was desperate to get made redundant and I didn't really want to find another job so as I could give myself 12 months off. Um, and that's what I did. I managed to um, work for 12 months. I was, wasn't published then. I was with an agent trying to get published and being turned down. I was turned down for 12 years with, with traditional publishers. And the Kindle had come out on the market so I just thought, you know, I'm going to have a go at this. And I, I put it out on Kindle and then self-published and, and that's the way it took off. And I didn't know whether I was going to be able to pay the mortgage if I didn't go back temping. So it was literally... Um, last chance saloon and it, it just took off so stay there it's all on the way in this week's writer's routine yes hello Welcome along, it's Writer's Routine. Uh, My name's Dan Simpson. Thank you so much for giving us a download and a play. This is the show where we take a sneak peek inside the working day of an author, a successful writer, to hear what makes them tick, how they first get ideas, how they take those ideas from their head, uh, get them down onto the keyboard, onto the page with their pen, and really just get through the day. We get all those juicy little nuanced nuggets that you won't really hear anywhere else. Uh, Now this week we speak to Mel Sherratt. She's published 12 books. Her new one is TikTok. It's the second in the DS Grace Allendale series. She's written for so many characters uh, like Grace. There's also the Ali Shenton trilogy. There's the Estate series, the Eden Beresford books. There's some standalones in there as well. And we'll talk to Mel about why she feels the need to invent new characters sometimes to tell some of the stories it's all about genre uh, because there's a big difference as we've learned really in the last few weeks on the show between psychological thriller and procedural crime and grit lit which is something that i'd never heard before but now seems to be everywhere in the show and we'll talk about what she thinks about genre and why she likes to mix it up as well now mel she's from stoke and i think you can really hear that in her stories 
I think she'll tell you differently. She, she argues that it's, as I said, ever since she took Stoke out of her books that she really came into her own. But I think her novels are ones that you can really get a sense of place and there's a really strong voice in there that you don't get with too many crime novels. Now, we'll talk about how she puts the clues to her crimes in normally during later edits. They come after she's had the main idea. We also chat about her dirty drafts, the words that she gets down that hopefully will never, ever see the light of day ever again. And also, with Mel in, in this chat, I like it because you can really hear the cogs turning you know, she's really thinking through the answers to the questions. I found this with a lot of authors, the more I've been doing this show, is that they find it really hard to capture the magic of how they tell stories. That's kind of the point of why we're here, though. So I am really quite forceful with it sometimes, I think. You know, we're really trying to figure out what it is that makes them tick and how they write so much more successfully than some others are out there. So stick around for that. I think that's a real joy in this chat. Uh, we'll also get a top writing tip from a proper Australian sensation. And look, if you love writer's routine, if you enjoy what we do, and if any of the tips from our authors that we've had, over 60 authors, if any of those bits of advice have helped you out, then I've got a way that you can help us. I'll tell you more in just a sec. First, let's get right into it with Mel Sherritt. And we start, as always, with what she sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. It depends very much where I am at the time of day. First thing in the morning, I'm on the settee. I'll sit there for a good couple of hours while I'm having a cup of coffee and waking up. And I'll probably do a good two hours um, getting everything out of my head from the night before and working on what I've done. Um, so, dog, husband... Um, slippers <laughs> um, and, but after I've had my breakfast I go straight into my office so it's all my home comforts in there my Big Mac um, tell me about the walls around your office then is, is there is there any photos or any books are there any form of inspiration in there as well yeah I have got all my uh, well not all my a lot of clips that I've had in newspapers I've got um, I won an, an award from my local newspaper editors award so I've got that framed on there um, my very first interview when I sold my first 50,000 books in the Daily Mirror, that's been been on there. And I have got quite a lot of motivational quotes like um, persevere, don't never, never, never give up, that type of thing, and nice gaily calendars. <laughs> <laughs> if I were to walk into your office in particular uh, on, on, you know, when you're in the middle of a book, would I see any signs around me of the story that you're writing? Have you got notes tacked to the wall? Have you got any anything that draws inspiration for that specific story? Yeah, I've always got, you know, the blocks that you have that you can just pick out the pieces of paper. I have them everywhere. So they're, they're scattered all, all over the place. I have a board, um, a whiteboard where I'll, I'll mark out how many words I've done every day to give me a bit of inspiration if I'm, I'm, I'm doing something like that. And I've got a huge um, whiteboard as well where I just squiggle ideas down there. Um, but yeah, I've always got a notebook by the side of me, always. So, so you said that you might start the day by writing in your slippers and your comfies <laughs> in the lounge with your dog and your husband around you. Um, you'll, you'll be writing on a laptop then, I assume? Yes. Is there any other constant that you need wherever you're writing to be able to tell your story? Anything that you must have nearby? No, apart from quiet. I can't. I can edit um, I can edit sitting watching the TV. Well, when the TV's on in the background and music, but when I'm writing, I have to be silent. So there's, there's nothing around me but just me in that little room with the door closed and everybody else going, shut up. 
So it sounds like you're kind of letting your writing fit around the day to a degree. You know, you're, you're waking up, then you'll take your laptop where you're going. But the show is writer's routine, Mel. Talk me through yours. The moment you wake up mm-hmm. to the moment you go to bed on a day when you are sat down to write, how does it look? Take me through the whole thing. Okay. I tend to get up about six o'clock and I'll go straight on to um, have a look at my books, how they're doing on Amazon. I've always, always, always done that. Um, and then I'll get my laptop out and, and I'll either be, um, if I'm drafting, I'll probably draft 2,000 words pretty quick. I do what you call deity drafts. So I'll get them out pretty quick. If I'm editing, I will read back what I've done from the day before. Um, I find them first two hours from six o'clock till eight, the, the best time for me to sit down and all my ideas come out. And I can just literally sometimes pick a piece of paper up uh, right down uh, and the whole plot that wasn't there last night will just literally all the twists and turns will, will come down which is, is really really rewarding I then um, take a break and I have a I go th- do some exercise I do 30 minutes on a cross trainer because I suffer from my back if I sit down too much and then from 10 o'clock till 1 it's it's writing um, lunch break 1 o'clock till 5 I'll be writing till about 4 um, and then I do my um, admin and things then. And then night time, I try and switch off. If I'm if I'm drafting, I can switch off and read. If I'm editing, I'm reading what I've done. So you talk about your dirty drafts. Uh, yeah. <laughs> in, in a day, maybe, if you're in the dirty draft stage, you're really cracking through the words. How much do you tend to get down? Um, what I tend to do is, because I'm always pro- project managing something else, so I'm always working on probably two or three books at the same time. So if I'm drafting, I will do two to 3,000 words quickly every morning, and then it gives me the rest of the day to do everything else. But when I say I do them quickly, I'll get 50,000 words down of a draft in a month and then it will take me a good two, three months to continue to change it. I, I sort of get to 50,000 and then it takes me a long time to get to 60,000 because I'm taking away what I'm ed- editing and, and, and then I'll, I'll take that draft and then I'll take that to 80,000. When you're dirty drafting, you're almost not finishing the story. You're just getting to a point where it's big enough that you kind of understand what's going on. Yeah, what I do is I, ha- I have um, quite a few characters in my book. So I'll do beginnings and middles and ends for all of them before I start. And then I'll marry them together. And I've probably got bullet points of about 20 chapters. And then I'll start writing them. And then obviously, as I get to know the characters, I'll need to add this and I'll need to put this and I'll need to do this and and um, and then I'll just literally go towards the end and I normally run, run out of steam about 45 to 50,000 that's when I know I'm, I'm done um, and my ending gets my ending is the same but then the beginning is the same but all the middle completely changes so the second draft is when I sit down and annihilate it so that for me is the very very painful part when I'm, I don't want to speak to anybody and I'm really <laughs> grumpy because I lose a lot of words to gain a lot of words in that bit but it's the only way I can do it I can't plot too much I like to organically grow some of it I just have to get it done and, and I, th- I suppose I use a program called uh, Scrivener for doing my writing on and I literally say that I've got to do that 80,000 words by that target and sometimes I'll only have to write 200 words a day and I can get to that target sometimes if I don't do anything on it it will be 2,000 2, and then that's when I start panicking but that is the only way sometimes I can do it what I try to do is a thousand words each day on a project that I'm doing and it could be two or three projects that I'm working on at the same time if I am second drafting or if I'm doing structural editing I can't do anything but so everything else gets chucked to the side even the emails nobody hears from me for a bit I literally have to go to ground when I'm when I'm trying to figure out what's going on talk to me about the second draft then quickly you said it's a pretty torturous part of your storytelling <laughs> uh how does it work so what are you usually fa- you, I mean you're 45 50,000 words mm-hmm. that you've got what what does it take the form of and then how do you both strip it back and flesh that out as your second draft and then 
how do you know that your second draft is done and you need mm. to move on to your third draft? Just try and weave me through that if you can. What I tend to do, and I have to say, I'm, I'm on writing book 18 at the moment and I think every single one I've written a bit differently. So I never actually get into a routine, but um, I will do the 50,000 words and I will read it back and then I will know in my mind where I need to put everything, but I'll start right from the beginning and edit edit and add to that. And by the time I get to the end, even the bits that I was going to put in originally have completely changed. So what I tend to do is I work, work on 10% of the book. And I do, I, I do on my second draft, I will blast it out over 10 days, do 10% each day, and then read that 10%, do another 10%, and then f- skim read the 20%. 30% skim the read all the lot just to keep it in, in my mind and when I get halfway through I then have to ch- concentrate on the second half which then means some of the first half has to change so I have to try and keep the whole story in my head but it, it's the only way I can do it 10% because it's so intense and it's 10 days I can keep most of it in my head. It's interesting that you're writing as you're editing you, that, that's kind of an interesting way that you're doing it do you find that when you are writing the second half of your story, maybe the the latter forty thousand words, are they are they almost a better quality first time round because you fleshed out what you know the story is in your head? Yes, I think they are, and I think when I very first started, I would write a hundred thousand words, and then I, that I would be my first draft, and then my second draft would probably lose fifty thousand of those words and put new fifty thousand words in to actually get the hundred thousand. Now I think because I've done done so many, I do tend to do a skeleton, and then I'll add words to it. So it is I. I'm probably more self-editing now, whereas I didn't before. So like I said, that's why every draft seems to be... I just just pick up something different every time I do it. It strikes me, I mean, 18 novels in now. Yes. I think we'll talk about how your writing process has changed <laughs> in just a second, because that I really find that fascinating. But the editing process, this may sound like a, a, a cruel question to things put out there, and I don't mean it to, but it, it strikes me that 18 books down the line, that's quite a complex way of editing. Why is it like that for you? Why have you not got like a more streamlined process than having to edit six, seven, eight times? I actually think this is more streamlined than when I first started. Um, I think what I do is I tend to um, write the story first, get to know the characters. I love that when they go off and do certain things and come back to me and give me these little plots that I then go and develop. Uh, my second draft, like I said, is is making sense of everything from the first draft and adding to it. My third draft then is more adding emotion or I'll add description. So I layer every time I do something now. So rather than doing 100,000 words where I would have done everything as much as I could in one, and then realising that you don't, you, you don't want that scene now, there was too much to do in that. So in, in one way, it's more streamlined because I know exactly what I'm doing. And when I'm left with that second draft, that's 65,000 words of pure story. So in other words, I can just add another 15,000 words of, of, of description and, and, and there is the book for the first draft. It's, it's, it's almost like it's not an edit. That's almost yeah. like it's just a... It's a rewrite, I suppose. Isn't yeah. It? yeah I suppose it's, I call it editing. But it's, it's building yeah. almost, isn't it's it? First, second, third draft. Yeah. yeah. Um, you've got this you know, strict structure of how your writing works, You know, mm-hmm. all these edits that you're doing, 10%. Uh, talk me through how that writing process has changed through your 18 books. I mean, you started off trying to crack out 100,000 words in one. Mm-hmm. How has it kind of developed through those 18 books? I think a lot of it was to do with when I was starting out, I was working full time as well. So I could write a thousand words in the morning before I went to work and never ever touch it for a couple of days. And I had certain times and I probably self, I didn't have much self-belief then as well that I could actually to, to write the book. So now I do have a belief that I, I, I 
it is a job for me. I can go out and do it. So I, I know my structure now. And even though it does change every now and then, it, it still gets to the same element at the end. I got made redundant actually in um, 2010. Um, coming from a small city of Stoke-on-Trent, jobs aren't, um, they, aren't they, they aren't scarce, but they aren't, there isn't that many good jobs there. And I was working for the local housing office, fairly good job, and got made redundant. And I, it was a case of I was desperate to get made redundant and I didn't really want to find another job so as I could give myself 12 months off um, and that's what I did I managed to um, work for 12 months I was, wasn't published then I was with an agent trying to get published and being turned down I was turned down for 12 years with with traditional publishers um, and I was getting to the stage there where my la my last my, my first novel that went out Taunting the Dead was completely rejected by all the publishers again and the Kindle come out on the market so I was just thought you know I'm gonna have a go at this and I I put it out on Kindle and it's all published and, and that's the way it took off. And I was actually um, at the end of that year and running out of money and I didn't know whether I was going to be able to pay the mortgage if I didn't go back temping. So it was literally um, last chance saloon and it, it just took off. It was incredible. Why do you think that was? Why, why do you think the readers found something in your books self-published um, that, that, that the publishing houses didn't find? I'm not quite sure whether it was the because the Kindle was brand new and there wasn't as many books as there was out there, but something does have to make that book rise to the top. And I don't know whether it was the cover or whether it was the, the quirky title. It wasn't a predominantly police procedural um, cover. It just wasn't. It got a rose with blood coming out of it. It was called Taunting the Dead. So that's the, um, you know, that's the way we did it. And I don't know whether it was catchy at the time. I'd been blogging for quite a while and maybe some people read it because I put it out for 99 pence and that was the time to do it then. And I just put a blog post out, didn't didn't do any anything about it, didn't do any promotion or anything and just said, look, you know, I'm going to give it a shot. It's oh, It's been rejected everywhere. And I think a lot of people just retweeted for me, so it got seen a bit. And then it just literally, within five weeks, it just went uh, to number two in the charts. And it was like, oh, well, okay. So what I then did was three of the original books that had been rejected, I edited them and put them out. And within the first year, I sold 200,000 copies of those four books. And then that's when the editors, because I, I uh, let my agent go then quite bravely at the time. And then I had seven agents coming after me wow. then. So... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We'll be back with more from Mel in just a sec. First, I need your help. If you like the show, if you enjoy what we do, if you've got any tips in the last 60 episodes from all of the authors that we've chatted to that have really helped the way that you tell your stories, perhaps you can tell us. If you want to support what we do on Writer's Routine, then you can. I've set up one of these Patreons, uh, which is where you can pledge some money to be part of the inner circle of Writer's Routine. Um, and, and it helps support us every single month. It helps us keep going. There are a load of benefits that you can get if you do pledge us a dollar or so every month. Uh, Anything from shout outs on the show to writer's routine merchandise, even ways that you can tell me questions to ask authors uh, that you will then get in specific episodes that will only be available to Patreon subscribers that not everyone else can hear. And it just really helps us do what we do. I love doing the show. I love learning loads from the authors that I chat to. I really enjoy speaking to writers... Um, whose books I've read for like the last 20 years or so. I love being in the same room as them. But, you know, everything adds up. It takes a large chunk out of my day. It takes a large chunk out of my bank account as well. Ferrying all over the country, buying new equipment to record with, buying coffees and pints for the people that I chat to. Uh, So if you want to support the show and very simply help me with that and show your love for writer's routine, I'd love for you to get involved and just donate a a dollar or so every month, the price of a cup of coffee or a pint for me to say thank you. Um, You can get involved and help us out right now by going to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com forward slash writers routine and you can become a supporter there. It's got all the details on the website, patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Hi, my name's Trent Dalton. I'm the author of Boy Swallows Universe. And here's my writing tip. The brain edits the book and the heart writes it. It is your responsibility to dig as far down into that pumping, gorgeous organ and find that thing that you are most afraid of and write from that place. And then that thing will turn to gold and uh, will also turn into your book. Good luck. (laughs) You see, it never ends. Uh, There's something else that you can do for us. If you've got a writing tip that's really helped the way that you tell your stories, just like Trent, you can share it with us uh, and I'll tell all of our writing community here on the show. You can let me know your piece of advice right now on the contact page over at writersroutine.com. Right, desperate calls for all sorts of help out the way. Thanks so much for sticking with me through that. I'm British, you see. It's very hard for me to ask for help and even worse, to ask for money without properly tensing up. I'm feeling very stressed right now, so let's move on with it. Let's get back into it with our chat with Mel Sherratt. Her new book is TikTok. It's the second in her DS Grace Allendale series. Uh, And and in this half of the chat, we talk about plotting in her story. Uh, How much is planned beforehand and how much is simply told to her by the characters when she starts writing. Also, you can hear about how much she knows about her story when she starts typing away. And we get back into it uh, talking about genre. You know, the differences in the genres that she writes, because she writes all sorts. Procedural crime, I've already said. Grit lit, psychological thriller. And I'm wondering how she knows what genre she's going to write when she sits down and starts to tell her story. 
the characters come to me with their stories. So sometimes it will be a police procedural, sometimes it will be a psychological thriller, sometimes it will be, will be women's fiction. So it's whatever character appears in my head. Some I, I have done two psychological thrillers, very very weird, dark women in them, very very weird. And and then they just come to me and I just like that. The police procedural element is um, totally different in, in one way because you have to be dictated by the story. You can't you can't do anything that wouldn't that a cop wouldn't do. Some people do, but I like mine realistic. I, I, I write about detective sergeants, I write female strong women detective sergeants, but I do it because that level is hands-on and I like going out. I used to be housing officer, so I used to like doing that element of the job and, and that's what I like to do. So she sort of so- solves the crime within the team, but she doesn't actually solve the crime, if, if you can understand that. She's, mm. she's part of that team. Because you're so at the liberty when you write police procedural mm-hmm. of the rules and the regs of, you know, the police. Mm-hmm. How are you researching this? How are you making sure that everything you're writing is how it would happen? Um, I have um, a friend cop now. I have, I, to be fair, I have quite a few in, in Stoke now uh, that I can just go to. I have, uh, um, I'm a member of a Facebook group it's a private group there's about 100 um, crime writers in there so you can ask any question in there and there's ex-cops there's lawyers and all sorts of other things in there so majority of my information comes from there but what I tend to do is I write quite community based stories because I'm doing low level detective sergeant work and she's more doing the interviews and things so I can get away with t- not too much research but I, I tend to pick one subject but I wouldn't do anything sort of like I don't do dr- for instance like a drug ring where you'd have to go and research yeah. how they do it mine's more like um, somebody will get stabbed or you know it'll be somebody's brother's sisters or and then it'll be the twisty tale of of figuring out who's lying and who isn't and, and that's the way I do mine you mentioned that when you write psychological thrillers well you mentioned that the characters come to you with their stories they do with psych- <laughs> I know it's weird <laughs> with psychological thrillers um with these dark twisted women who have who have done things for your stories are they presenting you the ending as well Yes, I think so. Yeah, the definitely psychological thrillers do give me the ending because it's the character that dictates that. It's the characters, they are quite, um, yeah, probably a couple of schizophrenics in there, I think I could say. But uh, yeah, I, I, I tend to write books from either a beginning scene that happens in my head or an end scene that happens. And it depends. Sometimes the beginning will come first, sometimes the end will come first. Well, let's talk about it with the new one then, TikTok. Mm-hmm. I know that you're a bit worried that you might give the whole plot away. I'm not too bad with this one. It's the other <laughs> one. Right, that's OK. Talk to me about the very first moment that this story came into your head. What was the initial idea? Um, I was going shopping we we go go shopping quite early in the morning on a Saturday morning and it was quite misty and I saw a woman out running and my first initial reaction was why is she running on her own she shouldn't be out on her own and then I didn't know whether it was my crime writer's mind that's thinking why shouldn't she be out on her own she should be out on her own she should be safe enough to be out on her own and that got me thinking that uh, maybe I could do some um, murders out in the open underneath the eyes of the police so sort of taunting them Um, and then that got me onto the idea of um, a copycat serial killer then what happened so you've got this initial idea you've got a vague concept of what you want your story to be Mm -hmm. I want it to be a copycat killer what happens next uh, like I said, the first two or three scenes will come to me straight away. So I saw, obviously, my runner was strangled. As she's <laughs> she's out. Not that particular one. Um, and then that dictated serial killers tend to do the same thing. So I'd got two or three murders that I could sort of set up. And then I wanted it based around a school. 
and a field where they were out cross country running and one of the girls gets murdered in broad daylight and that was the that was the moment and then obviously from then I tend to write the story go back and put the police clues in afterwards I would say I've probably got 70% of the bit before I start right and then I'll let the, re- the rest be dictated to by the characters as they come along and they'll do something <laughs> off screen and I'll think oh that's good that'll give me a twist to that but yeah I would say 70% of the book is, is planned ready to go are there plot points that you need to hit I mean 18 novels in and yeah. um, a hefty amount of them are crime and, and police procedural when you've mm-hmm. got this copycat killer do you know how many times they need to murder yes in this story yes did you know that because of the idea or did you know that because of the way things are done in your genre of writing? I actually think that that came out in the first draft. It wasn't going to be a copycat killer. It was just going to be three women out and then finding that out. So that's what I do. When the story starts to evolve, that's where the ideas come from. So that was more or less, that was organic, that bit was. So you've got your, no, it's fine. You've got your whiteboard at home. Yes. With the, I'm wondering just what, what, what structure your plot takes. I mean, is... Uh, have you got a spreadsheet? Do, do, do you know exactly what's happening? The beats that are hitting where? Talk me through that. Yeah, I'll do. I'll do. Like I said, I'll do beginning, middle, and end, and all bullet bullet points. And what I tend to do is, um, which works out for me, as I, I do something, something, got, something has got to happen. I'd, I've seen the story grid, and I quite like that story grid where you, you got you, you act one, act two, and act three, act four. But mine tends to be at four acts. But also, I do something at ten percent, something at twenty five percent, something at fifty percent, something at sixty three percent, something at ninety percent, and then and then that's the the end. And and that for me, how, how how I plot that out just tends to fit. I don't know whether that's because I've written so many books now, but that's that's the way I, I work. It something has to happen there, has to happen there. And even if it's the um, just a just a twist or a clue that comes at the 50% mark, something big is there, because that to me is the mirror point, whereas you've been leading up to it and now you've got to figure it out. You said that you, you dunk your clues for your policemen and, and, and how they're working things out in, in, in the next few edits. How are you making sure people can't see over the cracks? Uh, uh, how, how are you ensuring that the re-edits are seamless in, in their appear through the story? I think sometimes that comes with a structural edit because I think you can be so close to it and as you're telling a story, you've forgotten, you've given something away that needs to change. And and you cause, because you, you are actually telling the stories, it happens and you've got to not tell a lot of it because it doesn't come out in the, in the final bit so for me it is just that rereading and rereading and rereading and thinking that's too obvious or that isn't obvious enough or will I put a red herring in here I love me red herrings obviously <laughs> we do don't we but I think with the element of the, that dirty draft that I call it that first draft that will actually bring up the red herrings as well so probably my first bit will not have many red herrings in it. The red herrings will come as some, like I said, somebody might introduce themselves and I think, oh, he could be great because we don't really know much about him and why is he, why has he appeared to me now? And then he'll have, end up with his own story. So there is an analysis there. Yeah. It does seem like you're a fairly analytical author. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you know what you want your stories to be uh, you, you know when you're reading crime you've, you've written so much of it how do you know now what one of your tales needs to read like I probably don't I probably just get an idea and a, and a notion and off I go from there it's just I, I like like I said doing community based things so I will I'll, I'll hear something in the news and I'll, I'll carry on with the story and, and flip it and, and, and do things like that and that gives me the the elements and the, and the basics of it crime fiction is always thought of as being written in quite a direct style often there's not much floral prose that's going in there mm-hmm. um 
how much do you think about the words that you're telling your story with? How long your sentences are, the tone of voice that it's being told in? Yeah, I'm a very, very short, sharp sentence person. I absolutely love just to get in there and I like... There isn't much violence in, in my books, but people will say they are very violent because I'll give you half a page and then you imagine the rest. And I, and I quite like that. They are really short, punchy sentences that even I read back sometimes. They, ooh, but that just that will just imagine that one thing for me. So yeah, that's, what, why is that? Where did that where did that style of writing grow from? I think from, that's think? my background. I think um, um, I'm. I'm not very well educated, as, as I say. I'm high school educated. I've never been any further than that. And I think it's the the way I the way we write in the city. We're very self-deprecating. There's quite a funny sense of humour in, in my books that some people get and some people don't, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I think I, I just tend to. There won't be much dis- description in my books. The only description will come probably from reading in between the lines. So the, you won't find much in there. Mentioned earlier how characters give you the story. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about your characters then. Mm-hmm. Crime novels won't be anything if the characters aren't believable. How are you fleshing out not just y- your detectives who are solving mm-hmm. the case, but also the victims so that we care about them and then the murderers so we're we're interested that they've been caught? I love getting into the minds of any of my characters. I like um, talking about the victims. I like showing their side of things. I like the suspects. I, I like all. I suppose it, it, it depends on exactly what the story is. For instance, one of my stories, Follow the Leader, um, is based on a, a serial killer who's playing a game and he's actually killing people who've bullied him in his past life. Now, to me, that was a really, really big moral story that probably came from I was bullied when I was at work. Um, so certain elements like that will, will come across in, in the character. I think actually I've taken the stoke out of out of my books, which is quite a funny thing to say. But um, my books seem more more grown up now. The, the the tone of the words and the sentences, where I think I've learned a lot more about grammar because I've got which were so many different editors. Um, I think they're a bit slicker than they were before. Um, I write a lot of teens as well, so there's quite a bit of slang in there. I quite like writing things. Going back to your, your previous question, I like writing about families and communities, and that's where I like going into, into the, the nitty-gritty of secrets and lies and, and affairs and things that actually will then um, be for the ordinary person to that will then go to an extraordinary day because of something that happens and something that happens and something that happens and there's quite a few crime families in there as well that idea of writing about communities and and families is 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 quite something i mean we were talking about believability earlier Mm -hmm. um how, how do you ensure that those relationships are believable i mean i would imagine you know it, it would be quite easy to take a family and to ch- chuck a rocket into the middle of it and, and watch the mm. turmoil and the after effects. Mm. But that's not believable. A lot of people, because everyone's got a family, they're not going to buy that. How do you make sure that your readers do? I don't know. I think, I think if you have got a family, I think you probably will buy something like that. <laughs> you have to make sure that it's not too unbelievable. Um, it has to stay realistic and sometimes yeah you, you do have to have a p- bit of poetic license every now and then but because my, my characters um, they are very very they they how can I say they're very family orientated they'll look after their own but they'll also turn on them as well so I like the sense of loyalty but I also like the sense of well he's doing something but you don't know about it and he's, his sister's doing that and you don't know about it and then it all comes out at the end and in, in one big mush but it's um yeah I, I just I, I do love the twisty teeny family elements how much do you change the way that you tell stories dependent on whether it's 
grit lit or psychological thriller or women's fiction how mm. much do you think about that um that i have probably got exactly the same voice that goes through them but my police procedurals are um there's no there's quite a lot of emotion in there but there's no humor there'll be m- maybe an odd one-liner but you can't have humor if you've got five dead bodies or, or whatever um, my psychological thrillers are probably very much based on um female friendships going wrong toxic friendships that type of thing um and my women's fiction are just totally totally different they are like happy coronation street type books and i have a lot of humor in those but you'll still get that voice and you'll still get the probably the working class element through there you know there's that that they 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 don't actually uh, they don't have no rich fathers and rich mums that will give them everything they have to go out and work so that's the way the working class happy coronation street yeah so i mean i've i've <laughs> chatted to a lot of authors before and i've, I've never heard the specific phrase women's fiction oh no what is it's, it it's uh, it's not a very good term to be fair because me- men will read our women's fiction but to me it's about friendships and love and romance and um and and what can happen if um you have got friends to get you through through that type of thing um it's about love, love and relationships where obviously my police procedures are basically about somebody uh, murdering somebody uh, even if it isn't a member of their family for me women's fiction is escapism I don't escape when I read a crime novel. I don't escape. That's more justice. I'm, 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 I'm you know, giving justice to somebody by writing that. But women's fiction for, for me is just escapism. I can just pick something up and relate to it totally. And that is it for this week's Writer's Routine. Thank you so much to Mel for, for coming down to London, having a chat with me uh, all about her brand new book. It's called TikTok. You can find out loads more about it over on our website, which is writersroutine.com. Uh, if you get a chance, by the way, and if you like what you've heard today, I'd love for you to leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts, if that's how you are listening to the show. Getting really nice words and some lovely comments um, in, in that at the moment from all over the world. If that's you, thank you so much. If you've not left us a review yet and you want to very quickly say thank you, you can over on Apple Podcasts if you would like to say thank you in an even greater way I'd love for you to do that for you to find us on Patreon patreon.com forward slash writers routine just for a dollar or so every month you can say thanks to what we do Uh, you can get some writers pod merch in there as well Uh, and there's even a way that you can tell me questions to ask future writers on the show for episodes that will just be available to you and no one else. That's by finding us at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Uh, now, next week, something a little bit different, but just amazing, I think. Not a specific genre writer that we usually have on the show. Uh, we'll be chatting to the Syrian Canadian refugee and LGBTQ activist turned author, Ahmad Dani Ramadan. Um, we'll chat about his brand new debut award winning novel, The Clothesline Swing. And it's completely different to anything you will have ever heard or read before. It's going to be brilliant. I'll see you then with Ahmad Dani Ramadan next week on Writer's Routine. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods 
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.